Hello, lovely Triple Click listeners. Kirk Hamilton here. And as we mentioned last week, we are taking this week off from making the show. So instead of a new episode, we are sharing the following episode with you. So as you know, because we say it at the start of every episode, we are members of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you become a subscriber to Maximum Fun, you can get monthly bonus episodes that we record, and the following is one of those bonus episodes. It's an episode we recorded last fall for the Maximum Fun bonus feed, and it's all about Battles Royale. So that meant really that Jason, Maddie, and I watched Battle Royale, the movie, and we also talked about Squid Game, which at the time had just been a global phenomenon. We talked about The Hunger Games, we talked about Danganronpa, we talked about anything with a kind of killing game Battle Royale theme. We talked about that storytelling method, how it works, the kinds of character stories that it allows for. It was a really fun conversation, and it's just a taste of the kinds of bonus episodes you get if you become a member. So we really hope that you will consider becoming a member if you aren't already one yet. You can go to MaximumFun.org slash join to become a member and yeah thanks so much to everybody who is already a member we really appreciate you too okay we'll be back next week with a new episode until then here's our conversation from last fall about battles royale i'm maddie myers i'm jason shire and i'm kirk hamilton and i have some bad news for both of you what only one of us is going to walk out of this podcast recording session alive, I'm afraid. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I expected. Oh, no. Who's it going to be? Who do you think would, would, would make it out in, in a me. battle royale? Maddie. <laughs> the answer to that yeah. is clear. Maddie's vicious. It's me. Maddie's yeah. a fighter. I've been it plotting both of your deaths for years, yeah. and the time has finally come. I don't come. think we would stand a chance. Also, no jury would convict Maddie, me. Maddie, I feel like as... As an editor at a at a website, I feel like you are just inherently like plotting the deaths of all of your writers. Oh, deeply manipulative job. We, <laughs> honestly, like people don't understand. Like when we did the Triforce thing, and people were like, "Who'd be Ganondorf?" And I was like, "It's me." I don't understand why people don't. <laughs> uh-huh, it's uh-huh. Ga- I'm I'm Ganondorf. Like I. Maddie is secretly Monokuma. Maddie uh-huh. is hey. the showrunner. That would be a fun cosplay, honestly. Monokuma. That would be fun. There's a lot of cosplays of Monokuma and who. Of course, is the greatest character, greatest villain of all time. Hey, speaking of which, speaking of Battle Royale, big thank you to all of the uh, the uh, thousands <laughs> or tens of thousands, whatever it is, all of the people out there who are supporting us and entering into a death match to see who will be the final triple click <laughs> supporter. Think, no, 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 no. They uh-huh. they are the audience. They are watching this heinous display that's this, true right. they that's true. they right. are the paying members chanting for each of yes. us to kill one it really another. makes you think you know i know it, it makes you think you Capitalism. the listener think about what you're supporting here <laughs> what does it say about you like in Squid Game, where they pulled those like English speakers off this off the street to be to pretend <laughs> to, like, to be wear actors. the like diamond encrusted masks. That is what Max Fun donors will be receiving in the mail as a diamond encrusted yes. pig mask that you will wear uh-huh. to a, a covert location, and then you will watch the three of us fight to the death, exactly. or just record a podcast. That may or may not be Max Fun. <laughs> so thank you all for being members. This is a bonus episode about <laughs> Battles Royale. We're talking about a lot of different things: the movie Battle Royale, which we all just watched or rewatched. The Hunger Games, 
Danganronpa. We're talking about a lot of stuff. So what we're going to do is I am going to come in. Future Kirk is going to come in right now and just say all the things we spoiled because we're just going to spoil everything. This is a beans cast. We're spilling it. Well, them. Maddie already spoiled Danganronpa. Well, you can cut that out. <laughs> you, can, you can bleep it. <laughs> well, that was, okay, bleep that it, was, yeah. That was bleeped, but... um. But in the in the after this, they're gonna all be the beans are gonna be spilled. Though you knew that coming in, this is a beans cast, people. Yeah, we spill the beans, beans are on out. these things. Spilling um, beans. So here comes Future Kirk to tell us what uh, what we are going to spoil. Bing, Future Kirk here to tell you as promised what we spoiled, and it's pretty much what you would expect. We spoiled Battle Royale, the movie, the Hunger Games trilogy, and primarily the first. Hunger Games film and book. Um, we spoil Danganronpa, the first Danganronpa only, and we spoil Squid Game as well in its entirety. So pretty much what you may be signed up for. Also, just a content warning, this episode does include more discussion of murder than usual and also some discussion of suicide. Okay, back to the show. Bing! Okay, that was great. Thanks, Feature Kirk. It would be funny if we had spoiled, like, The Wizard of Oz. And just like a bunch, like, it's just like a crazy lady. <laughs> the listener is like, what? Like, what, how did that come up? And we're like. This is the ending of Bill and Ted, where whatever we do now will dictate what I do in the future. <laughs> Kirk comes in and it's just total free association. <laughs> right. Like, the following things will be spoiled. Like, <laughs> the, the latest, the latest Super Bowl commercials. Like, <laughs> the new season of Succession. The <laughs> Farmer's Almanac for 20 2023 <laughs> I, it's interesting the winning lottery numbers yeah anyway okay so <laughs> this is going to be fun because it's surprising because we're all how, how battle royale has kind of taken over everything like how this one premise has become one of the dominant paradigms in fiction and also game design <laughs> like yes over the last couple of decades so we're going to start with battle royale the 2000 japanese film because uh, that is kind of a, just a good starting point. We all just recently watched or rewatched it. I hadn't seen it in 10 years or so and didn't really remember it. And I think both of you hadn't seen it. So we all just watched it for the first yeah, time. Yeah, I hadn't seen it. Yeah. Is this, I should ask Kirk, you you have got to know this. Is this the first example we've ever seen in media of like this concept of like dropping a bunch of people in one place and having them all kill each other until one survives? No, I mean, there's there's previous things. There's various versions of this. Like obviously any gladi- gladiator movie, there's Death Race, sure. there's The Running Man. But yeah, in this premise, and especially with it being young people, again, and the collars—it's the world. Them. You never say that anything was the first of anything because it wasn't, and I'm sure, sure. I'm sure this wasn't either. But um, this was certainly a sensational example of it. It was a huge, had a huge cultural impact, and, then, and a huge controversy. It was banned for years, and people thought it would, you know, provoke teen violence and school shootings, and it yeah. was a lot of United States. People I know couldn't watch it for a long time and it had to be like pirated and it was like cool and culty to watch Battle Royale. And yes. That was how it was for a long time. So a little background on Battle Royale. This was directed by Kenji Fukasaku, who's a, a very famous Japanese film director, one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite directors. So you can kind of see a lot of references to this film and his other films in Kill Bill, which is like basically Tarantino's love letter to Asian cinema. Um, This was his last film. It's based on a book by Koshun Takami, which he also wrote into a manga. The book is from 1999. The premise, of course, as you probably know, is that a bunch of teens are sent to an island. They have to kill each other and only one gets out alive. Um, It's basically in response to rising teen violence in Japan. And it's a very Japanese-specific story in a lot of ways. This was like after the great... 
um, economic recession of the 90s. There was all this fear about teen violence in Japan. This story is kind of about that. And also, it's a very barbed, I think, criticism of parents and teachers and the people who aren't doing the work of taking care of children. And then they're, they put them into this ridiculous scenario. So also, it's just like a really wild movie. It's really violent. And yeah, this came out right after the Columbine massacre in America, which is why there was this huge reaction against it. And everyone was in America. It was like, that is that shit isn't coming here. Which is ironic because the movie is very much not about what the Columbine massacre was. And right. I, I mean, I understand like the weird connection in, in your brain and in, in a person's brain between like, oh, teens having to kill each other on an island at the behest of adults and like teens killing one another in real life for unrelated reasons. It, it's just it, it, this this movie is so different from that. But of course, media bands aren't always logical. And I don't. Yeah, it really is that thing where there is like a specific lack of of logic to this kind of reaction where, yeah, like someone looks at this show and they see a scene where a guy like uses an Uzi to like mow down some high school kids. And they're immediately like, no, we can't show this. Even though, like you said, actually, like this is about, you know, it's like a really thoughtful movie in a lot of ways. And it's about violence. Yeah, And it's about, as you said, the, the adults failure and they're just oversimplification. I mean, actually that's interesting. Do you think the movie is condemning Katano, the adults in the movie? Because I really couldn't tell at first what this movie's stance was on that. And that's part of what's interesting about it, I think. Yeah. I mean, I read an interview. I read an interview with the director. I love this movie, by the way. I just watched oh, this yeah. for the first time last night and yeah. I thought it was incredible. Yeah. Um, so good good call, I enjoyed Kirk. it a lot. Um, I, I read an interview with the director. I'm totally misquoting and paraphrasing here, but Kenji Fukasaku said essentially that like this movie stemmed from his inherent mistrust of adults as a kid and like how he felt like like adults were always like irresponsible and mistreating kids. And like uh, that's what the movie came from. So, yes, 100 percent. It feels like it's a movie. The stance of this movie is that like the adults have all completely failed these mm-hmm. kids. In terms of Katano, I think he's a more complicated character and a very ambitious ambiguous one partly because Mm -hmm. you see some just little glimmers of him toward the end and his decision at the end is very interesting but throughout the movie absolutely your sympathies are with the children and it's you're meant to feel horrified i think in a way that i've never felt horrified by another one of these stories but certainly not by the hunger games that then squid game also made me feel horrified but even squid game has that difference in that they're adults but we'll get to squid game in a little bit but in this i think that the way that this film lingers on the names of the children it really introduces you to all of them it assigns them all a number which is this way of dehumanizing them but in a way that also shows their name so like you're kind of simultaneously presented with their dehumanization but their actual identity the way it uses flashbacks the way that it you know every single showdown or murder that happens between the kids references their past life and their regular innocent childhood together. Um, Like all of that is really meant to make you feel sympathetic for the kids. And then the adults are just like either there's Katano and then there's just these army dudes who are all just total assholes like they're just like worthless jerks and the first teacher i guess but he dies pretty quickly. well and he was and he seemed like a nice guy like yes. and he's of course instantly killed but but he was also presented i mean this is what's interesting about it is that that first teacher is sort of condemned by katano and the army guys as having slacked off like you sort of mm-hmm. see him on the bus with the kids like playing patty cake with them and like he's not instilling any discipline of course he's just allowing the teens to run wild run amok and like that is i mean i will say i thought the first 10 minutes of this movie were 
unintentionally funny. And then I ended up really liking it. But the, mm-hmm. the setup is very odd. Like the moment that you called out in our G chat, Jason, where you were like, why does Nobu stab Kitano in the first place? Like, yeah, I was so it's confused. It's so about absurd that. that scene where, like, basically it's just Kitano as a teacher at the beginning of the movie before the the le- later events where mm-hmm. he becomes a mastermind behind the Hunger Games. <laughs> he's just a regular teacher who can't control his classroom and he's grown resentful. And Nobu is one of the students, just stabs him in the leg for no reason other than that he's an out-of-control kid who's just fucking around. And then he runs down the hallway, like, gleefully almost. And it's that's kind of the inciting well, so incident, this, but well, also well, not... This comes, Maddie, the important context there is that this comes after a couple of like text car runs that are like, the the society has collapsed, yes, like things right. are out of control. So presumably it's related to like this all just being some sort of post-apocalyptic setting. Although that's not really explored. But I think the issue though, okay, so th- there's a couple problems with the setup of this movie. So the 1999 novel, I haven't read it, but I read the full Wikipedia page, so I'm basically an expert. The 1999 <laughs> novel is set in post-World War to Japan, but it's an alternate universe where Japan won. And so it's a totalitarian, like sort of Nazi influenced parable. Mm -hmm. And the government creates the death games, Hunger Games style. And everybody in the society knows about the death games and that the kids are competing basically to just destroy humanity's morale in the country and keep this regime in in charge. It's it's very similar to the Hunger Games in that way. But in this movie, they kind of want to have their cake and eat it too with that because they open with like employment rates are at 15 percent like the recession there's a huge global recession and like japan has hit really hard and society is crumbling and and teens are out of control as part of this and like they don't respect their elders anymore and so that's why japan has created this battle royale act and it opens with a newscaster covering the battle royale which makes it seem like everyone knows about the battle royale right Mm -hmm. but then later None of the kids know what it is or understand why they've been brought there. And also the Battle Royale appears to be the work of Kitano and his own grudge, his own axe to grind, Monokuma style, which is a more interpersonal parable about like teens and the experience of high school and bullying, like more Danganronpa-esque as opposed to the Hunger Games. And I just yeah, it's not really clear. thought that was interesting. But it was kind of both. I agree that that's interesting. And have I was thinking about the same thing because when he tells the kids, do you know about the Battle Royale Act? And he puts the BR Act up on the board and they're all like, no. And he's like, well, all you them. should know. All 42 of None them None of them know, know, right. Which like, if this shit was happening, you would know about it. If yeah. Especially if you were a ninth grader and it was potentially, like you had the potential to be in it. That undercuts the entire premise of this sort of thing as a, a sort of act of government terrorism. Where in the Hunger Games style or in the style of the book, if you're using this to keep people in line and scare them, then that makes sense. But they need to know about it for them to be scared about it. Yeah, otherwise they won't be scared at all. (laughs) The flip side of that is that you wind up with, right, this much more personal feeling story that totally works for me. Um, yeah. Even though it doesn't make sense in that logical well, way, it, because it makes as much sense as Danganronpa does, where it's like this one teacher, like kind of broke bad in a way, and yeah. like it is, it's it's sort of not explicable as to how he has all these government resources, unless it's a governmental terrorism thing. But according to Danganronpa rules, it's like oh, just this. This person is finally getting back at all these fucking kids who didn't respect him. And That's the like, thing is it's like the fantasy of the teacher who can finally yes. just like smack these kids around. And that's what that opening scene um, is is really sort of enacting is he finally walks back into his into the room. But this time he's got soldiers and this time he just kills the one girl like right off. Yes. And then kills yeah. um, Nobu. Kills and Nobu. Yeah. That whole sequence. And I agree that it's it's got this movie has such a weird 
energy. The way even that people move, the way they choreograph the movements, it almost looks like dancing, especially in this early sequence. Maddie, you linked this. Uh, we can link in the show notes this great article about the oh, creation yeah. of this and how they spent just weeks on that classroom scene. And you yes. can see it when he like he cuts Nobu and Nobu falls and rolls on the ground. And it's very like almost dance like like the children are kind of jumping around and flying around and they're their emotions are so big that it takes you a minute, especially I think as a like American viewer who is just sort of adjusting to a lot of things, especially watching it with the Japanese language track to just be like, okay, like what frequency is this movie on? Like what exactly the fuck is going on? It took me a while to get there. Like, I think it's part of why I found it comedic at first because I was like, am I just too desensitized to battle royales now? Like, am I just like, I don't care anymore? But I think it's actually just that the movie's really fucking weird. And like, Mm -hmm. it took me a little while to get on its wavelength. And then I think it also just becomes so much stronger once all the kids enter the game. Yeah. It's just the rest of the movie from that point is, is, is wild. (laughs) Well, then you have the structure and you have the number ticking down, which really is the tension of like, who's going to survive. Although I found it so disconcerting. I mean, maybe that's the point, but I found it so disconcerting how quickly some of the kids just started killing each other. Yes. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it just kind of, they brought in ringers and that's part of what got it started. Like the one kid, the, but only one of the ringers was actually killing people. But he killed like like, 20 kids Totally separately. (laughs) Sure. But totally separately. Like other people were just straight up killing each other. Well, but the first kid wild. who kills the girl it was kind of an accident like he's not even yeah. you know I think also Jason like t- they've just seen their classmates be murdered in front of them like multiple of them right like like a foot away from them they watch a girl get stabbed and then they watch like a kid's head explode mm-hmm. because his they're all wearing these these collars around their necks and they're told we can explode your collars and blow your heads off at any time like blow. If you it's aren't doing, like yeah, they blow worse. up in their they necks. Don't even, it's actually. not like running, yeah. man. It's like just they blow a hole in your neck and you bleed it's out. Really it's really gross, and like it's projectile blood all yeah. over every kid, and it's so. And I feel like Jason. That's why it was more believable to me that the kids, in just a traumatized panic, would be like, "I have to survive this." And like some kids react by just running, and some react by just immediately resorting to murder and it's like well what would a person do in this situation and i felt like they presented such a diverse array of reactions from each of the the 42 kids that i was like i do think this is at least believable within the the world of this movie which is already insane so like i don't even know what what you're trying to make you get very few really it's like mitsuko is the one um, girl who is like just a stone killer other than the Mm -hmm. one kid who kills everybody there's a lot of kids who are like either mistakenly killing one another or like not wanting to do anything but then sort of turning on each in other in self-defense or right. whatever like, there's yeah. a, and then a lot of kids obviously who are just trying not to kill one another at all and a the, lot of suicides like this movie depicts yeah, a, a lot, lot of suicides, of suicides well, that's, which is that's brutal that's a Japanese like, culture thing for sure because suicide was in, was in has been a major epidemic in Japan I mean I feel like it doesn't if this movie was made in America I feel like it's still realistic that a lot of people in this situation would commit suicide like what if you know that's you can't really, kill anybody a really sure. heartbreaking scene yeah. early on is the girl and the yeah. boy who are just like fuck this and they just jump off the cliff just hang themselves oh well there's the two kids that hang themselves oh, and then later, the boy and the girl hang and then later the boy and girl who jump off the cliff there's like multiple mm-hmm. characters who are just like I don't have it in me to kill other kids so I'm yeah. gonna kill the myself the little girl who leads to the kind of comedic massacre at the lighthouse but then really tragically kills herself yeah this is a very yeah. sad movie it's so okay but zooming out a little bit because we're talking about battles oh, royale Kirk in general said it. I did Kirk it, said it. <laughs> Zoom Take out. a drink. Um, Jason, you mentioned that this movie really 
locks into focus and really gets moving once the game is underway, which I think is true and tends to be true of any of these things. Of it's all like, of them, right. It's always the pre- at the, its most... The setup is, yeah. It's always at its least interesting when they're talking about why this is happening or, like, they're they're kind of rationalizing it. And, like, there is an excitement to the very first moments. Like, in The Hunger Games, this is certainly something The Hunger Games does very well, where there's all this, like, pageantry... And then they finally like launch you up in these tubes and then you're there and there's a countdown timer and then boom, you have to go. Like the, There's always like an excitement to the start, but once it's underway, that's when the whole thing locks into place. And that's, I think, where the sort of game design part of a battle royale really oh, yeah. uh, shines and like where that is like narrative game design, basically. Um, and you're seeing it play out in this film, in The Hunger Games, in Squid Game. It's like... You know, they're all it's always a game and the rules of the game are very clear to you. And it's the same reason that a video game story pulls you in and that a video game feels like playing through this, you know, this thing that you really want to see what happens next. It's because it's designed and scaffolded in a, in a video game or a game like way. Yeah, I don't I th- I think part of it is also just um, classic storytelling, which is that there's this inherent tension in figuring, and figuring and the underlying question is like, who's going to survive? Who's going to be the last person standing? And that is just, I think that's one of the reasons that this this method of, of this genre, so to speak, or method of storytelling has become so popular is because that question is always interesting, no matter what. If you ever, if you have a group of people to getting together and like one of them is the winner and so one of them, only one of them can be the winner and the rest of them are going to die. That mm-hmm. is always a Or just not question. even be chosen. I mean, it's like why people watch The Bachelor. Like, it's like it just having a huge group of people and they're going to be eliminated. You you always want to call it at the beginning. And yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. interesting. And so, so I think having that in any sort of story is always going to lead people to keep watching. And I think that's fundamentally what you're looking for with any with any sort of medium. Yeah, but I also think, though, that the game design part of Battle Royale the movie is so apparent just from the get-go in a way that I don't know that it is in like a gladiator movie. Like the fact that every student gets a, a random weapon mm-hmm. is very Fortnite. Like it's very like uh-huh. which which thing did you happen to find and like who do you happen to kill and can you take their weapon? And the the main character gets a pot lid and like that's his weapon and, and he like uses it that and it felt his very so Fortnite funny. to me. It's so like funny. it's it's like comedic. And his girlfriend gets binocular. Yeah. <laughs> She gets binoculars and like other characters get everything from like an AK-47 to like a knife or like the the sickle that Mitsuku mm-hmm. has. And it's it's like all manner of weapons that each of them has. And that just feels it's like, yeah, life isn't fair. And also one of the kids is like a trained assassin, seemingly. So like one of them <laughs> is like a, a hardcore like esports pro equivalent uh-huh. but in real life where he's going to freaking kill mm-hmm. like you know, 30 of the kids and then you don't have <laughs> a chance. It's like, yeah, you, you jump into a Fortnite you jump into a Fortnite tournament and like ninja is yeah, over like there. Yeah, like ninja's there. Like, oh, but, okay, um, we're all But also it's die. real life and these are actual murders. So it's significantly less fun. <laughs> so something that stood out to me. Okay, I want to compare this to Deng and Rapa for a second. Right. Uh, this is going to be a little spoilery, but uh, that's what we're doing here. We're so doing. Shuya and Noriko. So kind of from the beginning, you see that like they're this this quote-unquote couple, um, mm-hmm. where, like, Shuya, is cl- she clearly cares for him, he clearly cares for her, there's clearly something going on there, and that they're going to be partners and, like, stick up, like, like stick together throughout this this death game and have each other and stand by each other because, like, this sort of thing, if I were in that sort of thing, having a partner by my side would certainly make it more easier to get through, and so it makes total sense. 
Then you play Danganronpa, and you start off the game, and you're playing as this guy, this kid Makoto, and he runs into this girl named Sayaka, who like he knew from from before childhood. this, and they they recognize each other from childhood, and she's adorable, and she's like this this bubbly personality who's like, oh my god, Makoto, I'm so glad you're here. Can I rely on you? Like, I wanna I want you to help me. Mm-hmm. Very similar to Noriko, like in in so many ways. And she's like famous, right? And she's, she's yeah, she's the ultimate teen. She's the ultimate idol. Yeah, very much like Noriko. Yeah, very. And then, same character type. And then she immediately dies in the first yes. chapter. Unlike and then, Mariko. And then on top of that, it turns out that she dies because she was planning on framing you and killing someone killing someone else and framing you for it. So it's the ultimate subversion. And we were talking about this on our Danganronpa episode about how the series is so good at subverting things. And that to me, seeing like kind of the origins of this, of that relationship and knowing how Danganronpa subverted it, I thought it was pretty cool to uh to watch in, in the original version. Yeah. It feels more like a direct commentary on this movie in Danganronpa now. I think I think it almost has to be. It's yeah, yeah it definitely yeah. is. Which is fun because I didn't know that. That might be the best twist in all of Danganronpa and it happens at the very beginning of the first game, but it really might be the best <laughs> twist because they really like they're like, "Hey, it's free time. Why don't you go hang out with that cute idol girl who seems so nice who you used to know mm-hmm. as a kid and then she totally just gets murdered." Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that that sort of that sort of subversion works better for me like it works better for me that Danganronpa is doing something with the narrative framework and playing with it in a way that I think Squid Game does as well where when you look at the Hunger Games like the Hunger Games doesn't really bring anything new to the table there's always this question of you know what are you going to do when you uh, when you're in there with your friend when you're like Katniss is in there with Peeta they're both in there Mm -hmm. oh how cruel but then in the Hunger Games, maybe it's that the Hunger Games is American, but the Hunger Games mm. is the one where the person is able to break the game through like their sheer force of will and like. But escape. so is Battle Royale, though. They do break the game at the end, which I will admit, I did not expect them to be able to do that. I thought that just one person was going to survive. But I, but I wasn't expecting like sort of magical level computer hacking to play a role and also for a different character to have somehow been behind the hacking in a turn of events. That it was I not so that I can explain. Well, well it was, yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was, so it was Kawada, right? Who did the virus. Yeah, somehow. Yeah, it was kind of like waving a hand and just like, forget yeah, about don't this. Worry about They're it. gone now. He, he figured out how to turn off the, uh-huh. the neck guards of the of his two new buddies while tricking Katano and company and they they all got away, except Kawada tragically died. Let's let's think this through then, because I think there's something interesting here. So let's look at the the three those three stories: Squid mm-hmm. Game, and Battle Royale, and The Hunger Games. I've never seen The Hunger Games, by the way, or read it or anything. Oh, do you not know the ending? Because I can summarize. I don't it for know anything you. about The Hunger Games. Oh wow, really? Okay, well it's it's very Twilight. It's actually a love triangle. I believe the other guy's <laughs> name right, is Gale. Right. Am I remembering it His right? It's like Gale. Gale I had forgotten because he's so boring. I had to look. And it so up. he's the one who's back at home waiting for Katniss, and he's like the brunette hottie, Smoldering. and Peta is the blonde hottie who's loved Katniss her whole life, but she's like so embarrassed. <laughs> Right. He knows how poor she is. This is all very important. So anyway, yeah, she knows she that. she knows on some level that Peta loves her, but she doesn't actually like him. Okay, Maddie. No, this is part of the plot, Jason. I, I, and she I, pretends I, for the cameras. 
that she yes. that she and Peta are in love, and Peta believes her, and that's why they save both of them at the end is because the two of them together in the climactic moments are like we're both gonna have to die, so I guess we'll just both commit suicide because we love each other too much to do anything, and they stop the games and save two winners because of that, except that Katniss was faking it. She didn't actually love Peta, and Peta was not faking it. And that sets up the love triangle tension for books two and three, which I could give a shit about. But that's how mm. they win, is by fucking with the cameras of it all and right. the audience and the reality show, game, betting, all of that aspect of it. They fuck with that to break out, which is very different from how the, the characters in Battle Royale break out. Right. So, and I think that, so I, and I think that the first Hunger Games, particularly the first Hunger Games book, Oh, yeah. Kicks ass. Like, I think it's a sort of dope book. When I first read it, I read it in like an afternoon because it's just yeah. like. A and it's still worth it, Jason. It's a it's a fun read. Oh, yeah. It's really good. Um, And that. But I do think that it's interesting that Katniss is very clever and like comes up yes. with this way on her own in the heat of the moment to get through it. Because there's always this question of like, well, only one of us can get through this thing and we're in mm -hmm. it together and we're friends. So like at some point I'm going to have to betray you or you're going to have to betray me. And throughout the Hunger Games, there is like routinely, it's kind of convenient. She becomes friends with Rue, Rue gets killed. And like, so, oh, she didn't have to make that decision, even though Katniss is really kind of a killer and maybe would. So at the very end, she comes up with this way to kind of get out of it intact or at least alive where in mm -hmm. battle royale they don't come up with anything like the two yeah. protagonists yeah. Shuya and noriko, Shuya and noriko are just they, the most passive they can't characters. help themselves they just wander through the movie they're kind of passive characters and there's like a hint that like noriko's innate goodness like the fact that the teacher really liked her is like part of like why he was at least rooting for her, but he doesn't even manipulate the game for her to win or anything. Yeah, he does show up randomly. He gives and her sort an umbrella. Looks at her. I, yeah. I watched that scene multiple times because I was like, why is he here? And it's not, I mean, I guess the answer is just he's sort of fascinated by this daughter figure. Well, that he's he sees her. her yeah, because his daughter hates him. So hates he, him, yeah. he wants this. Right, he's sort of. And then you see at the life. end that yeah. she had a relationship with him and like she actually treated him like a father. So you can see why he liked her. Yeah. Um, by the way, I should say that like one of the other parallels that I immediately thought about with, with Danganronpa and Battle Royale is that Kitano, just like Manokuma, is like the most captivating villain that like every time he's on stage, you're just fascinated by him yeah. like everything about him his his facial tics and his personality and his, and his motivation voice. is similar yeah, motivation. in the sense that he is he is getting revenge i mean he's not a fellow teen as monokuma turns well, out to be but he does he is getting revenge in a very personal way and like the stakes are personal for him in a well weird i wouldn't way. say dangarumpa is about getting i feel revenge. like junko is getting revenge though because she's no, like so i feel is, as though i've she's been... like the ultimate no she's the ultimate despair her her whole story well, yeah, is that but... she She's like this, this, this psychopath. She's also like a model who's been judged. I mean, yes, I know she's a psychopath as well, but she's like, I, you know, been judged my whole life. And like, that's what she's projecting. I don't know. That's how I read her character. Mm. Maybe you I'm... should replay Dangarampa. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think I'm the only one who sees her that No, way. her story, her story is that she's the leader of this group called the Ultimate Despair. That is like the, their, their entire <laughs> personas are dedicated to like bringing Yeah, despair. but there's her story and there's how you can interpret her character. Like you can interpret her sure. character a lot of 
different ways. Sure, like, but you see her. I mean, her character doesn't exist. Like the supermodel character doesn't. Like she's like a, a split personality. There's a lot. Well, there's a lot yeah. to it. It's I worth mean, replaying the game. Once but there's anyway, a split but, personality, it's kind of hard to evaluate a character at yeah, all. Yeah, she has like. Well, she. It's this. There's this crazy scene at the end of Dangarampa that that I had forgotten about until I replayed it recently. But she's like, she puts on all these different personalities and voices, mm-hmm. and she's nuts. She's amazing. She's a great villain. But anyway, so yeah, so Kitano, I think, is just like, and he's played by Beat Takeshi, who's this actual TV host in Japan who's like super famous and well known um, I think he had that show Castle something Takeshi's Castle or something like mm-hmm. that um, he was a game show host like in real yeah, life which is like hosts. adding to the unreality of Battle Royale in a fun way for viewers uh-huh. in Japan and he has such a great voice that like he uses like when he does the announcements it's so good um, everything about him is so yeah, it would be like if like Trebek hosted the Hunger Games or something uh-huh. like it would be like the equivalent uh-huh. of that for us at the time I was trying to think of like other game show hosts that it would be like very weird to see them be a villain because that was what people were reacting to as well was that he was not seen as like a bad guy in the media he was like well liked as a game show host so now mm-hmm. he's evil <laughs> and that's fun <laughs> i like how his left eye kind of twitches and, and closes yeah um yeah. yeah so okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna complete the zoom out now we've got <laughs> so we've got heroes take it upon themselves through their creativity survive the games that's hunger games then we've got heroes are actually kind of passive they're helped out by kawada who is actually kind of the protagonist of the story um Uh who makes who gets them through it and then they also get through it because um kitano sort of lets them go like he he knows they survived and then he sets it up so that they'll kill him so they can escape because he's like over his life and wants to die anyways and they kill him and then he takes a phone call and then he dies. that scene is incredible where he just gets up and it's like um, i I was like what the fuck like because you're thinking like were they blanks like were those are those like squibs Uh on him or Uh is that blood and then he's like also he like has a water gun like he didn't even have a real yeah because he he wasn't actually threatening because he wasn't gonna shoot noriko because he really saw noriko as well i know it's just like that reveal was also amazing to me okay so we've got those two so so now Squid Game is, I, I would say, I guess the most cynical of the three of these then, right? Mm-hmm. Like Squid Game ends with the whole game is intact. He actually just wins according to the rules of the game. He Like nobody cheats. You're thinking the whole time like, oh, maybe, you know. So it's like Sebeak, is that her name, is, is going to, uh-huh. she's yeah. going to like be so industrious and like crawl up into the ceiling. And then no. She, and then she like dies in a really sad way and then like really it's just it comes down to the characters and he just gets through it and then there's kind of this twist at the end which have I mentioned this on the show that I like don't like the ending of Squid Game only because I wish it had just ended I kind of wanted it to just end yeah no I'm with you I I was I thought it was going to end. Wait, which when he twist? Goes... Are you talking about the old man twist I, or the airplane? Yeah, twist? the old man twist. I so at the end of Squid Game, uh, Gihun goes back to his apartment, and of course his his mother's dead, and like, what's the point of anything? And he just like lies on the ground and cries. And I was like, credits, like that's it, like just end it right there. Like I was waiting for that. I have a slightly different but then, take. Well, go ahead. There's like some Danganronpa-esque twists on twists where it's like he goes and finds out that the old man that he befriended in the game is still alive and also is the Katano-esque Jinko-esque mastermind behind it all who is still dying of brain cancer but fundamentally believes people are evil makes a weird bet with Kihun about a homeless guy on the street there's a ticking clock it's all of that like additional like are people truly good or bad i was like this is 
this is weird. Like, I didn't need all this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Let like, me share just... my take. My take's a little bit different because I would have been happy. What I didn't like is that it set up another season and that there was, like, yeah. this stuff afterward where he gets off the plane and is, like, going to yeah, go and there's the a new, new game going on. Yeah. That stuff, I was like, I don't need that. I would have actually been fine. I liked the scene with him where where the old guy reveals that he was actually in charge of everything. And then that that's, like, the twist is that this guy really like just wanted to do the whole thing and it kind of puts things into this fresh context it also changes the impact of my favorite episode which is the the uh, marbles episode the like most yeah. heartbreaking shit i've ever seen like absolutely destroyed me <laughs> well and it right and it makes it it like undercuts the most impactful thing about the whole show emotionally mm-hmm. which i sort of enjoyed but i liked the bet the scene where the guy is drunk on the street because there was an unspoken thing to it because the whole time i'm sitting there thinking like you can just go down and help him. Like you could be, there's nothing in the bet that says you can't just go help him. But it was like mm-hmm. so fundamental to Jihoon's character that he was like just powerless and like beaten yeah. down and unable to to like take control of his own life. And he just sits there and like watches and he treats the bet as though he can't do it. If that guy had died and then right as he dies, like someone comes and helps him and then it's just the end of the story it would like as a self-contained thing it would have been like flawless and instead Mm -hmm. having the cop and like the brother and that whole thing and like these carrying on stuff where obviously they're gonna get another season because it was so popular i like i wish it had just been one self-contained season because it would have been nearly flawless yeah Mm. i hadn't thought about that that's a good point kirk about his powerlessness um although i can't imagine that the uh that that the old man would have uh, tolerated I think him. he would have. I think he totally would have. Like, I think that was part of the I mean, test. what can he do? He's bedridden. He can't stop anyone yeah. from going and helping the guy. But I, I mean, I also get that that scene, I mean, I like the overall commentary of, like, people are good, because I think that's true personally. So I liked that the show that had been so cynical about human nature, generally, was also still realistic about what people do when they're under stress and was also like, yeah, sometimes there are people who actually help somebody else out. But that paired with just the ridiculousness of the old man's monologue. Were, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, I, I struggled with it in that moment. That's understandable. Yeah. Weird. And like a little too much, but not, not like it ruined the show for me. It wasn't on that level at all. And I'm right. sure I'll watch season two and see what they do. But I, I was like, this is a lot. I don't, I, I'm, I'm, a whirl with all these twists and I don't think I needed them to be here. You yeah. Know? I think that it's remarkable. I think, I mean, I, I thought it was a really remarkable show and that just given that it took the paradigm that had been established and then built upon that felt so familiar at this point and by actually like really leaning into how disempowered everybody in it was, how they're all, I mean, it's, they're all there by their own choice because the actual existing world that we live in is so shitty to actual people, like it really is right now, that some people would believably choose to do this, which yeah. I buy. And like, that's like bleak, man. It's like really yeah. bleak. And it's about our actual world. Um, that I think is a really interesting, uh, like new wrinkle to the Battle Royale formula or to the formula of this kind of death game story where it, like really, they really drilled down and got real about it. Um, rather than, you know, whatever, getting more fantastical or building new rules or like, you know, going in some more just sort of fun or creative direction, they actually just got way darker and it and it mm-hmm. worked. I guess it's the, the era we live in that, that that would be the most successful version. Yeah. yeah. 
I feel like it also works because it's still somewhat about interpersonal relationships. Like, I I don't know if you meant like the cop storyline was something you didn't like, but I actually thought that mm-hmm. was. Really I liked cool. it. I liked it, but I just I didn't like how it led to an eventual reveal about bigger world building right. stuff. But I I thought it was an yeah. essential I don't part care of about the that. show. But I I liked that the host character turned out to have been related to have been the brother who mm-hmm. won the game. Like that whole turn of like you never really escape this cycle. I thought was both a good societal commentary and also just interpersonal thing to share about these characters. I thought that worked really well. And those smaller moments were part of what made it so good. Also, Squid Game, amazing stealth video game. <laughs> like those, <laughs> the cops sneaking around pretending to be the other guys, like uh my coworker Mike Mahardy compared it to Hitman, and that has just stayed in oh, my it's head. So, it's such for a hitman level. Weeks. Like it yes. would be the coolest hitman level, and it just feels like a video game. There are hitman levels that are almost that, like so many, where you're like, there are different similar costumes that allow you access to different areas. Like that's just such a mm-hmm. or like a secret society with masks and right, like it's evil right. and you need to break into it and, well, and you would totally it in go and way. kill the guy, yes. Um, I almost feel like there might have been a level that was like forcing people to kill each other or something. But yeah, that and that actually I think is interesting too, that they introduce a new kind of game design to yeah. this formula that was already very game designy and that it it gives you the same thing that a stealth game gives you, which is the opportunity to observe a system at work, which is why I think the cop is an important part of Squid Game, is that through him, you see how this all works. And otherwise, it would just be a contestant's eye view, which would be probably effective, but pretty grueling mm-hmm. and scary if it was just them. And more like Battle Royale or Danganronpa, where like you never really get to see outside of what's happening until the end. I guess like Danganronpa, because Battle Royale, you yeah. do see the command post. You well, do see yeah. how it's structured. Where Danganronpa, you're just in it in a first-person perspective, which does make a pretty big difference in how it feels. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about how all of these uh, all of these battle ro- battles royale are designed to cause the the players despair of some sort, mm-hmm. um, and that's most most blatantly spelled out in Danganronpa. But I actually think Squid Game, the one where nobody's actually killing each other or has to kill each other, might be the most effective at causing despair because so much of it is like about intention and unintentional like behavior so for example i mean first of all the concept that the the conceit that they all are choosing to be there is really interesting and and adds an interesting wrinkle to that particular um show although you could argue that because of their financial situations and like the crushing crushing debt and capitalism in general that they don't really have a choice but they are ostensibly choosing to be there um so they are it's as if like that's unlike any of the others um well sort of but um yeah, sort of. Um, but um, no one in Fortnite is choosing to be there. That's what that's what Jason's <laughs> saying. It's societal factors that are controlling. The other thing that I think is really interesting is that um, the most heartbreaking deaths are like unintentional. It's people picking yeah. their partners or what they think, who they think they're going to team up with in the Marvels yeah. game, the only Marvel to episode. discover that they're actually competing against each other and they're going to be responsible for the deaths of whoever they picked. And that is like even more despair inducing than like. I think I've never been in the situation, but it seems a lot more like crushing than even just asking people to directly kill each other. Because if you're given, if you're told to go directly kill people, like you have the choice of not participating. 
of killing yourself like people did in Battle Royale or just not doing it and trying to survive. Um, but here it's like you unintentionally chose to be partners with this person and therefore they are going to die or you, one of you is going to die but and it's going to be your fault and you have no control over that. That is mm-hmm. like even more crushing than like active, yeah. active murder. That was the episode where I was like, oh, I guess this is where I would die because like uh-huh. if Dina and I were in the game together, I would be like, all right, I'm just going to get shot because at least that's a quick way to go like they just do it's it's relatively humane if that's the right word in squid Mm -hmm. game like it's just headshot boom you're dead it's like some of the battle royale deaths are pretty really gruesome ways to go and like hunger games it's like children who don't know what they're doing and Mm -hmm. yeah danganronpa definitely but squid game it's it's very cold and calculating, which is why I thought it was interesting that people described it as so violent because I was like, compared to some other media I've seen, it's more emotionally violent. It's the actual violence of Squid Game is, it's a lot of headshots, but but what gets to you about it is the circumstance and, and the fact that it's, as, as Jason says, despair inducing because you're like, oh my God, these, these people are treated as less than human by society and now they're entering this death game because they have no other choice. That's... Yeah, I think... I think that the reason for that is because the whole purpose of the game within that universe is not the death. Like the death yeah. is just incidental. Like the people who are right. watching when we see them um, and they're, they're fantastic acting. Um, <laughs> when we see them watching, they, they don't seem to care about the deaths. Like the deaths yeah. are just like, like people falling off a bridge and, and landing in a pile on the floor. Like that doesn't matter. They're more interested in who the winner will be. And I think that's an interesting wrinkle as well. Whereas if you're playing Dangarumpa, part of the the kind of lurid thrill is seeing the different executions like how is this person going to be murdered and it's mm-hmm. just a, and an also interesting solving the murders framing. is a key right. part of it because you need you need to collect everything in that room but yeah. Uh, yeah but i mean in terms of like the impact of the death itself i feel mm-hmm. like it's more more of an impact in battle royale and dangarumpa as opposed to squid game where it's kind of beside the point Mm-hmm. Yeah, to the violence in Squid Game, I do think because there's almost a slaughterhouse energy to the first yeah. couple of episodes. It's so clinical, and they're just murdering people. <laughs> well, they have to narrow down. They started. Yeah, at four, I mean, it's right. like four, it depends 68. what you find most taunting. I guess is is if that aspect of it is what truly unnerves you, then Squid Game is actually the most horrifying of them all mm. because it's about a system grinding you down right and, and like you. the the way that they're systemically slaughtered in that opening sequence is pretty tough if you just you know from a pure violence on screen standpoint i mean it's just watching a mass murder of unarmed people which is like you know brutal so i can see why people would have that reaction even though i agree that it wasn't until the marbles episode that it really like it was but that was actually where the show locked in for me also of like oh my god this show is amazing like this isn't just a really, you know, kind of, I don't know, nasty, weird, you know, Hunger Games with adult gamblers. Thing. Like it was just, it was fun to watch because I was like, damn, this is like dark and messed up and really slick and well done. And I'm, I definitely want to know what happens next. But I wasn't like, you know, you don't love it until they break your heart. And then you start to really feel for the characters and see what's happening. For me, it was, it was, um, Sabiak and the other girl. That yeah. whole conversation where like this other girl just like has nothing to live for. And she keeps when she keeps forgetting and being like, oh, after we get out of here, like we can go to the movies together. I was I tell you what, I like I haven't been as emotionally destroyed by an episode of TV as I was by that episode. I was alone. Emily was out. Have I did I talk about this on the main show? Oh my god. It no, was I like I don't think so. You watched it alone? Wow. Oh, it was just that alone. Well, I Emily couldn't you. hang. She was like not into the show. It's too violent. Oh, so she, she was, was out like, at work. Out. 
And I'm at home and I'm like, oh, Dina oh, loves just... stuff like this. She'll watch more oh, violent content than me. Like she was like checking with me. She was like, are you sure you want to keep watching this? So I was like, I got it. I got it. I, I want to know what happens. I got to know who wins. <laughs> yeah. Just watching that episode. I was like, oh, I'll put on another episode of that funky show I've been watching. And I was just like, oh, like, <laughs> like by the end. And it was wild because I knew what was going to happen. Every single pairing. I was like, well, he's going to kill him. The old guy's going to let him win. She's going to kill her. Like, it was like all of the main characters are going to survive this. That wasn't yeah. what was devastating. It was the actual just minute-to-minute reality of it and that they just let you sit with it for the whole episode when you knew how it was going to end. Oh, my God. That's, like, one of the greatest episodes of TV. I didn't expect the husband and wife thing. Like, I, I didn't necessarily yeah. – because I sort of was like, oh, well, clearly, like, it's a husband and wife. They're probably both going to kill themselves. But instead, he allows his wife to die and then – is so haunted by it that he kills yeah. himself. And you just sort of watch this side character deteriorate in the background of the proceedings that are unfolding with the main characters. And that was really brutal <laughs> to watch because I was Twisted just like, well, stuff. I guess that's how that would have gone for that guy. I No wonder no wonder we all love, no wonder humans love Battle Royales so much. Yeah, do so, we, so twisted. So why do, we, <laughs> why do we find, is it just because it's such a good metaphor machine like is that the thing that makes these work like the thing that squid game does that is on another level from either of you know anything that came before it is that it's like such a potent metaphor for capitalism for our current society um really just for that and like it works on small levels and macro levels it's about relationships it's about adults like it's about the world that we as adults inhabit where by being about high school danganronpa battle royale even the mm-hmm. Hunger Games is about teens. Like, it's like those yeah. are all kind of about these more teen flavored emotions where Squid Game is like much more fully fleshed out and real. And it feels like it's more about the real world. But fundamentally, they all work. And is it because they're all just like it's just such a potent metaphor because we just live our lives according to this or at least are told that we should live our lives according to this thing of like compete with everybody and one of you can win, like be the best. And it's life or death. And even if it's not literally life or death, it feels like it's life or death. So what if it was? Right. Yeah. Right. Like what if we just shrunk it down and put it into this tiny thing and like made the rules very clear and then you just got to watch it. And and maybe that is the case. I mean, that's like why Survivor was a big was as big as it was. It is. So many reality shows have that exact same structure and also – Again, so many video games do. And it's Mm -hmm. why these Battle Royale video games are so satisfying. Like even like the goofiest one, like Fall Guys, like it's still like really cool to watch and just be like, oh, let's see who wins. I'm going to stick around and see who wins. Like (laughs) it's just there's something about the elimination process and the best person at the end or the most deserving person at the end that satisfies some core thing in us i guess i don't know i hate to even say that because it sucks like i don't want that to be something that satisfies a core (laughs) thing in me that sucks ass i don't i don't (laughs) like core your core violence urges i don't like it i don't (laughs) i think it creates it creates a fantasy of meritocracy which i think is really appealing to people the the last man standing best man wins or best Mm -hmm. woman wins um i think kirk to your point i think the clear rules are really the most important part of this whole genre and concept 
Um, and in all of these games, uh, just having a clear rule set that is always followed and that the creators, even the people who are like the authoritarians who are in charge, who are controlling everything, they cannot break the rules no matter what. I think that really makes it work. Um, and, and that's one, the most important thing about it is that like, like you're going into this, you know exactly what the stakes are, what the rules are. Like it would not, you would feel cheated as the audience of this story or as the audience of these games if like at the end of it instead of winning um like when there are two people left like suddenly monokuma comes out and decides oh you know what i'm i'm just gonna end it for us all and and i'm gonna decide that neither of you can win i'm gonna kill you both or whatever because that per- whoever's in control already has so much power and authority that it would just feel like nonsensical if they then decided like actually we're gonna kill everybody or something so like i that. think that squid game has the most clear-cut um commitment to that principle because in the hunger games they're constantly like cheating because there's this whole thing where like they you know there's this political part of that whole story where they need katniss to do this or that or they're going to try to kill her and they're constantly like mixing things up and throwing things into the fight that aren't fair in um fortnite or PUBG, it's also not fair right because there's rng like you you find yeah. you find and you know, same in battle royale it's not but fair. rng there's are the part of the rules i'm just talking about following and... the rules that you have right set. but like it right. works in the in terms of the commentary but it's not actually fair that in battle royale you're all like you just said manny you're all given different weapons or sure. they, right. they move it's people just around the, and the kind rules of... are by nature unfair and those are right. the rules as long yeah. as they're following the rules right. right like that's not if someone opened a box and they got nothing and the rules were that you have to get something then that would feel unsatisfying mm-hmm. that's that's mm-hmm. my point and it's why when somebody like hacks and cheats in Fortnite, it's so frustrating i mean that's part of why it was right. also surprising to me that that was a plot point in battle royale because i was like oh we're like outside the rules mm-hmm. now like we mm-hmm. can just hack stuff like what why do we have this capability like i expected some emotional hacking like katniss style where they like found some way to trick the system in that way but instead it's like a very literal like no we're going to cheat by turning off the little <laughs> neck braces like that's the only way for multiple people to survive this which is right it's fun to watch that and the Katniss version because you like seeing the underdogs get one over on the authority figures. But you're right, Jason. If the authority figures were the, the other characters around, yeah, who were suddenly be... like, uh, also, I'm going to suddenly kill six of you at random. Like, that yeah. would be weird and bad and, right. like, stupid. Yeah, that's why some, the later Hunger Games books get less and less interesting, especially when they're no longer doing the Hunger Games. Like, it's most interesting when you have a framework you understand. And that's also why I just read the synopsis of Battle Royale 2, which there was a sequel film yeah. that was directed by um, Fugasaku's son because he died before he could make it. And it sounds like a mess. Apparently it was got very bad reviews, but it's totally like, oh, you no. know, the two of them are on the run and then there's a yeah. new battle royale, but the kids like get sent after them to hunt them down. And so Shuya and like his freedom fighters have to fight against these other kids. And then it just sounds like a total mess. And it's it's very similar where it's like, wait, what is this even <laughs> battle royale anymore? Which is also true of the third Hunger Games. In the Games, Hunger Games where it's like Katniss and her freedom fighters have to yeah, like fight just like, against mm. random people. There's an amazing thing the in the third. Books. I don't either. The third book's a mess. Um, I never even yeah. saw the final movie. There's an amazing sequence where they're like attacking the capital in their army. And then she's like, and then she realized the way that the battlefield was arranged, 
it was another Hunger Games. And you're like, you don't have to justify calling the third book the Hunger Games by like actually trying to pretend that the war that's happening is somehow the Hunger Games because it's just not anymore. Like, you it's just a war. You, and right, the Hunger Games just was war. the metaphor it's, thing. Right. Like, it's you're doing the literal version of the metaphor. Right. Yeah. Oh, well. So, yeah, Hunger breaking games. out of the game always kind of loses thing. And that's actually kind of why I'm worried about Squid Game season two. It's the same thing. Like these stories work yeah. when they're hermetically sealed within a story. It's why Danganronpa loses me when they start talking about the despair people. It's why the, the sequel loses me in ways that I won't get into for your sake, Maddie. But like anytime they go outside of the game, you lose a lot of that potency. So I guess the strength of the battle royale is just that closed system, how well it works as a metaphor for just about everything or anything you want it to be, and how clear the rules are, how we understand how it all works. And there's actually kind of an infinite number of possibilities. As I think as Squid Game kind of showed, like, whoa, there's a whole lot more you can do with this with this framework than has been done. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's brilliant. I mean, you don't... Squid Game really shows us that it doesn't have to be them all killing each other. It could be, yeah. like, done in other ways. But, yeah, I mean, the concept of, like... like it's a reality show, right? Like it's essentially you're watching a reality show and that concept has always been just so appealing and just has so much inherent conflict um, that it's always just going to make for a good story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And since people don't die on reality shows, I feel like that's part of why the actual video game versions of this are fun because mm-hmm. of course you don't actually mm-hmm. die in real life when you die in the game uh, for some reason. I don't know why not because everybody's <laughs> been saying for years that that happens, but they haven't, they haven't figured that out yet. No. So that's part of why like watching a really good match of PUBG like feels as much fun as watching like a thrilling survivor finale because it's like, Oh, it's that sa- it's tapping into that same sense of like, there's characters on the battlefield, but uh-huh. I don't actually know if that sensation is the same as I feel watching squid game. Like I don't even put those things in the same no, category. No, Like it's not about that. No, it's, it's funny, not like- right? It's like, well, like battle Royale, the movie was controversial and was, you know, parents were freaking out about it because of the content of the film where Fortnite was controversial because like all the kids wouldn't stop playing it. Like it's just a very, <laughs> it's a very different Well, they were kind playing Fortnite at recess and so on. And that was probably, yes, it was a real problem. Irritating. They were flossing all the time. And they were flossing. Like, there teachers. was so much flossing. Um, it's, I was like, okay, so I went to uh, my old high school a couple of weeks ago to like give a little talk uh, to their newspaper class. Oh, and I nice. asked them, I asked them if any of them played video games and they're like, no. Um, and I said, you guys don't play, like, what are kids playing these days? Like, are you guys playing Fortnite? And they all laugh. They're like, Fortnite? Huh? <laughs> so apparently Fortnite is no longer cool at high no, school. That, that panic has, has gone away. I wonder what games the kids play these days. If you know, write us and let us know. Do you think... Well, so Roblox is big among young kids. Oh, yeah, kids, sure. Yeah, they Roblox. have some that's battle royales, I'm sure, in there, but not they high do. school. They do. And they have Squid Game games in Roblox Oh, that's as well. right. That's, that's true. right. So we're winding down here, but I want to, do you think on the video game tip, is this now the, the like, maybe the dominant type of competitive multiplayer game, like the Battle Royale game? Like, was it the case that for so long, Deathmatch was the thing and it was mm-hmm. like, whatever, 6v6, 8v8, and then there were kind of bigger games. Do you remember, was it called Gun, the Sony, the PlayStation game that had like a hundred people and then Battlefield, you know, a lot of people, oh, it can be so big, bing. The game I was talking about is actually called Mag. It was a 2010 PlayStation 3 game that could support up to 256 players, which was quite a lot of players then and actually is kind of quite a lot of players now. So anyways, it's not called Gun. It was called Mag. Bing! Was it just that there wasn't the bandwidth to create this 
thing of like, okay, there's 60 people. They're all on an island. The island's really big. Sometimes they're not going to fight, but eventually they're going to have to, and only one person's going to win. It just seems like a way better setup for a multiplayer game, but it's funny to think about what a PvP game was for so long when we were all playing video games, like in the 2000s. It was always Call of Duty, like a you know six versus mm-hmm. six match. And it could only be a few people. It could yeah. only be like 12 players or 10 players or whatever, because that was all that games were capable of doing then. And so having it not lag and like be coherent. Yeah, I mean, I... I am only going to say no because I feel like something else will happen that we Well, sure, until predict. the next thing, I guess, is more <laughs> what I mean. Not forever. Nothing is forever. I cannot but... imagine what it will be. But yes, yeah. for now, it is the thing. And I feel like I've almost talked myself out of my take going into this, which was that Battle Royale, the movie, and The Hunger Games, etc., influenced PUBG, which, like, it did clearly influence PUBG, but PUBG... It feels like The Bachelor. Like, it's so different to have a video game where no one is actually mm-hmm. dying. And, like, that's just an inherently different construct than these stories. Or even Danganronpa, which is also a video game about a deathmatch. But it's a narrative video game. But it's not. Yeah. It is a narrative video game that is about the feeling of being in a deathmatch where Fortnite is never about that. Like, at no, no point <laughs> are you, like, the shocking betrayals. Which, like, honestly, why not? Like, that would be own if that was somehow also part of it. Like, that is actually what's going to happen next, is that it will be a video game, but, like, Danganronpa-esque, where you have to get away with murder in the game and trick everybody, and it's such a, like, detailed physics Well, that's physics Among engine. Us, right? Now you're talking about you're Among right, Us. You're right, fuck. What am I saying? It's really Among Us. That game's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Among Us is Not even Among literally Us. I invented Among Us by accident. <laughs> that's the next thing. Let's make this a game. Let's get rich. I think people What do you like guys it. think? Um, I think it should be on phones. Yeah, everybody has sounds them. Sounds great. Yeah. So I think I think the real appeal of the battle royale game is the endorphin rush that you get and like that that looming sense of tension that builds as you get further and further along, right? Because you're so committed. Yeah. You've been playing for 20 minutes. You're in the top five or whatever. It's like if you die, it hurts even more than if you died 10 minutes ago. But if you win, the rush is just incredible. And I felt that before while playing Trials of Osiris and Destiny, where like you are committed to this thing. You're trying to go mm. flawless. You put all this time into it so the highs are even higher and the lows are even lower also felt this way while gambling um Mm. it is very it is all it is all very similar and very much appealing to like that human just like desire for like these stakes and tensions and so on so i think if a game mode were to come along that were to capture that same feeling of like oh man like Mm. tension is so high but if i win like i really made it above all these people and like the rush is gonna be so great um i think that's very possible and i'm sure there are designers out there working on the new big thing in that front as we speak yeah it's really that there is a narrative to a battle royale video game because there's actually pacing you know there's downtime there's exploration there's arming up there's little skirmishes it's all building toward a kind of final showdown that narrative just doesn't exist if you watch if you just tune into a stream of call Mm -hmm. of duty it's just like whatever like it's just a bunch of people getting shot it just doesn't make sense where if you tune into a stream of Fortnite, I've watched Fortnite streams. I've watched our friends play. They'll just stream it on Discord. And it's pretty fun because I know, like, I'm like, oh, well, I know where we are in the story. We're at the early part where you're all trying to find stuff. And, you know, maybe you see somebody, but they don't see you and they keep going. And it's kind of this build and it has a narrative to it, which is also 
why all these films we just talked about or TV shows talk about work. Like they all have that narrative framework. And that, I guess, if something is going to replace this style of video game, it's got to be something with that kind of a narrative because the narrative part of it, even though it's not obviously like characters and stuff, but like the narrative of the game is really, you know, is really sticky. It's really compulsive. Yeah. It's the best mm-hmm. part. And it's long and it's like a long narrative. Like you're committed for a long time. It needs a little time because there has to, you need time to have pacing, right? Like you can't do pacing. Yeah. Well, also you have to feel like, like, oh man, like the tension builds. We've talked about this before when it comes to like save points in JRPGs, like the tension builds, the, the more time you spend on something and then all that time just disappears if you die. Whereas if you win, then it's like, oh man, I put in 40 minutes of my life in this. It's sort of like Call of Duty death matches are sort of like playing blackjack where it's like, okay, one got a card, got mm-hmm. a hit, like. Got mm-hmm. went, won this round, lost this round. It's all just happening very quickly. Whereas, like a battle royale, playing PUBG is like uh, I don't know, putting like uh, you put ten dollars on your favorite team to win the Super Bowl and watch them right, over the course of the season. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. If they yeah. win, you win a thousand dollars, and you're like, oh man, I, I I got this amazing rush. Like this is the best high I'll ever feel. Hmm. Like never gonna never gonna recreate this. I came in number one and got the chicken. Except dinner. you're also playing in the Super Bowl yourself right. and yeah, you have you some also, way and you're you illegally betting on your own performance. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> you have some way of actually determining the outcome. I mean, unless you're watching PUBG, but if you're playing it, then you, in theory, have a way of determining right. the outcome. So your victory game. is all the more exciting because it wasn't just a good yeah. pick. You did it. You won the game. Yeah. yeah. That's why, yeah, playing games is better than gambling. <laughs> in conclusion, <laughs> don't gamble, kids. Play video games. And I think that was the moral of Squid Game, actually, is that mm-hmm. playing games is better than gambling and that that's why he that stopped gambling and started playing Squid Game. And then he got because. rich and he was happy and he, got and he lived rich happily ever after. It's great to be a gamer, folks. And yep. that's what yep. the moral Gamers is. Gamers win in the end. Nice. All right. Well, this has been fun <laughs> talking about Battles Royale with you all. I think we solved it. We figured out the moral of Squid Game and of video mm-hmm. games in general. I also think we managed to successfully hack the game such that all three of us can survive after all in a stunning twist that we no did. one expected. I know. We're not going to have to kill one another. It's because <laughs> it's because we had such a great conversation that um, the, the audience would just be so disappointed if only one of us, if only Maddie made it out alive. Let's be real. I know. So yeah. we did it. Congratulations. Our Max Fun overlords have decided that all three of us should continue to host Triple Click after all. Thank God. I was really sweating <laughs> so we bullets will. for a minute. The rules were broken. Oh, this was still satisfying. Yeah. Yep. We'll have season cool. two and it'll it'll be kind of a letdown. But, you know. <laughs> season two coming next year. All right. Well, this was fun. Thank you all so much for being members and for listening. And uh, I will see the two of you next week for more Triple Click. See you guys next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network. And if you're listening to this bonus episode, it means you're already a member. So thank you. We really appreciate your support. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod. Send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org 
comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.